and you can be seated. Well, welcome again to Phoenix Bible. Again, my name is Tim, the pastor here. Really glad you guys have joined us this morning. I saw a few new faces. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're glad you're here. We've been going through the book of Philippians, just plowing our way through this book, talking about what it means to have joy beyond the difficult situations in our life, the circumstances in our life that don't go the way that we hoped, the doubt that we have in our life that we can't get rid of, the struggle in our life that we sometimes have, that we have a joy in Jesus that goes way beyond any of those things. And we see that in the Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, and he writes it from prison, not a palace, from prison. And so he isn't exactly living the high life right now, but yet he has joy. The book of Philippians is the most joy-filled book in the Bible. And so we've been investigating how do we have that same joy, And we're going to continue to do that today. So Philippians 2, grab a Bible and head there. Uh, If you don't have one, there should be one right in front of you. Grab that. We want you to look along in your Bible. And I'm going to pray for us as you head there. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this church. And I thank you for what you have done through 20 Sundays, through six Sundays here in this place. That you have revealed sin in our lives. You've changed our lives. You're still doing that. God, you've brought new people to to join our family. And God, as we grow as a family, God, I pray that we would have an increasing love for your word. We wouldn't be numb to it. We wouldn't get used to it. But even now, as we open it up, that your spirit would illuminate it to our minds, to our hearts, and you would change our lives through it. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I remember when I bought my first home, one of the things I was most excited about was mowing the yard. I dream big. Um, I was really excited about mowing the yard because I had mowed a lot of yards in my life. Like growing up, mowed my parents' yard, mowed other people's yards in the summer for a little extra income. But I got to mow my yard. I mean, kind of mine, like I was paying the bank for it still, you know. But it was kind of mine. And And I was excited about mowing my grass. And so I remember the first time I got my mower, I got my weed eater, and I began to to mow the grass, and then it didn't take that long. We had a small yard. And I sat down in the evening, I watered my grass, and I just watched the water spray the fence back and forth, drinking my lemonade, enjoying what I had accomplished, right? Mowed my yard. Big deal. And... I remember telling a friend of mine, he had owned a house for a few years, and he was like, he was listening to me talk this way, very naive uh, of me, and he said this, he said, yeah, that'll pass. <laughs> he crushed my joy, right? He said, that'll pass. The more your grass grows, the weeds, and all of that stuff, you're not going to enjoy it as much as you did this time. And sure enough, as we began to live in this house longer, as the grass began to grow, as weeds began to sprout up, we began to find that this joy turned into a struggle. Like, we were in Texas, and it's hot there, too, and it would be hot outside, and I wouldn't want to mow the grass. Weeds would spring up, and my weed eater would break, because that's what weed eaters do, right? Like, it became a struggle. And I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, this morning, the Christian life feels a lot like that. Like, In the beginning, when you met Jesus, you had this joy. You had this joy. You wanted to read scripture. You wanted to read your 
Bible, you wanted to dig into it and learn what it says and apply it to your life. You wanted to spend time in prayer. You were passionate about uh, an intense, effective prayer life with God. You began to gather with other people to do that and learn from one another and teach others. And you were passionate, joyful about Jesus and growth in the Christian life. And then at some point, because of sin, loss, hardship in your life, that joy turned into a struggle. You began to realize that there's ups and downs. And some of you, if you're honest, this morning you walk in here and you would say, this struggle is a little bit too great. That in fact, I've checked out a little bit. What used to be a joy has now become a struggle. All of us experience that at some point. Point in life. And here's what I want you to see in the book of Philippians and in your Bible and in the Christian life as we see it today, is that that struggle is part of the way we're always going to function. We're always going to function that way a little bit in some cases because we still have our flesh. We don't have resurrected bodies yet. We still struggle physically, emotionally, spiritually. We still fall into sin. And so some of that struggle is to be expected. But it shouldn't weigh us down to the point where we check out. That what we see in this text is that we can have a joy that goes beyond that struggle. And so that's what we're going to look at. Philippians 2, look at the verse. It's verse 12. We'll start there. It says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not, as, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For... It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So 12 through 13, one long sentence, okay? And it starts with this word, therefore. Now when we see that word, we always want to ask, what is it therefore? Yeah, some of you picked up on that. You heard that before? It's because there's a linking of ideas, right? So we always want to let Scripture interpret Scripture and see this passage in the context of the whole book. And so what just happened last week that we're linking to this week? What did we talk about last week? Humility. And we ended that passage talking about the ultimate example of humility, Jesus Christ. Being in the form God, he emptied himself. He became nothing. He became a servant. And he was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. The ultimate example, the ultimate model that we have of humility in Jesus. What Jesus accomplished for us. That's what we just read about. And so Therefore, in light of that, what do we need to do? Look at the text. Verse 12, we need to work out our salvation. As you have always obeyed, in my presence, now in my absence, work out your salvation. Now, this isn't a verse that we love to quote or sing about, is it? Like, we don't sing like, oh, we work it out. Oh, we work it out. No, we sing, he loves us. He loves us. We don't love to quote this verse, sing about this verse. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But if you look at this text, and you specifically if you go on to read, it says, for it is God who works in you. For it is God who works in you. So there is something to do, but it's in light of what's already been done. Do you see that? There's something to do. We need to work out the salvation we've been granted, but it's in light of what Jesus has already done for us. Do you see that? 
Like we need to keep reading the passage. Notice it, it doesn't say, work out your own salvation so that God will like you. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, work out your salvation so you can be a good person. In fact, if you look at the verse, there's no so that at all. Right? So that would be the result. There's no so that. It doesn't say, work out your salvation so that this happens. No, it explains how it happens. That it's God who does it in you. Isn't that beautiful? That's why the gospel doesn't just save us, but it also sanctifies us. You see that? We never get to a point where we don't need the gospel. The gospel, the good news that Jesus died for your sin, that he took it all on the cross, past, present, and future, that he rose again in victory over sin and death, and that that not only saves you, but it sanctifies you. It makes you more like Jesus. We say it this way in our mission statement at Phoenix Bible, that we want to see you love Jesus, and that's meeting Jesus, growing in your love for him, and then we want to see you live like him. So the gospel doesn't only just save you, it sanctifies you. You do something, but it's in light of what's already been done. And so we have to get clear on the front end, whether you know Jesus or not, you need to know that Jesus changes your life positionally. Like when you first meet Jesus, when you trust in Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection for you on your behalf, he changes you positionally. This is why it's good news, because it's a big change. Like he lived the life that you could never live. He died the death that you deserved. He rose again for you. And as a result of that, your position is dramatically changed. You go from alienated to associated. You go from homeless to a home. You go from orphan to adopted. You go from sinner to saint. You go from death to life. And this is all that Jesus has done for you. It's by grace you have been saved, not of your works. Do you believe that this morning? Do you know that your position has been radically transformed? Your identity, your very being has been changed. If you have met Jesus, that's where you stand before God positionally right now. You need to embrace that. You need to thank God for that. You need to be in awe of that. That's why it says you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because what Jesus did on the cross for you was a weighty thing. And so he wants you to respond in all of that. Like, God, how could you think of me? How could you do that for me? How could you come down, become a man, be born as a baby in a manger, live a life as a servant, get beaten, bruised, arrested, betrayed, and die a gruesome death on the cross for me? There needs to be some fear and trembling with that because it's so weighty. Because obedience is important. We don't get saved by our obedience, but saving faith always leads to works. You see that in the book of James. That's the whole book. You see Jesus calling that out in people and the Pharisees. They know all this stuff, but they don't live it out. So God changes us positionally. It's a gift completely, but he still wants to change us progressively. And for a lot of us, this is where we experience that struggle, right? This is where it gets difficult because we want that positional change to progressively work itself out today. <laughs> like when we say progressive, we mean like by 5 p.m. Yeah? So we get frustrated. I was listening to sports radio the other day, and um, the guy was talking about how he loves to play Powerball Lottery. 
He loves to play it, and he's played it for 20 years, and he says this is why he says he plays it, because with one dollar, you can change the course of your whole life. And he said this, that I've always thought I would work and keep working if I won the lottery. Well, no, I wouldn't. (laughs) No, I wouldn't. It would completely change everything about my life if I won the lottery, and it only takes a dollar. But he went on to say that he's been playing Powerball for 20 years, There's five numbers. He's never gotten one number right. And he's frustrated. A lot of us feel like that in our Christian life. We're not growing at the pace that we would have hoped. We're asking God to break us free from sin in our lives practically, progressively, now. And when it doesn't happen, we get frustrated. There's some struggle. There's some angst. There's some tension there because it's not happening instantly as we would have hoped but this is God's design he wants even if you're in the midst of a struggle right now he wants you to rely upon him he wants to remind you of your need for him that you needed me as your savior and now you need me for your sanctification like it never stops he wants you to trust in him so he works this out progressively for the rest of our lives this is a daunting task this is a daunting command that we see work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But he doesn't give us that daunting command disconnected from his empowering grace. Like, keep looking at the verse. He says that he's working in you to will and to work. We see two ways that God works in you in order to work out your salvation. God does the work. Just like God changes you positionally, he begins to change you progressively, and he does it primarily in two ways. We see in the verse, to will and to work. To will, that your desires change, that you no longer live for your will, your plans, but God's. That when you meet Jesus, we see this in Ephesians, that he seals you with the Holy Spirit. You no longer just have a sinful nature. You have the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, living inside of you. It seals you and it empowers you to live this way, to work out your salvation, to become more like Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit of God. You have new desires, a new will. He wills that in you. Like You don't have to muster up the desire to follow Jesus and serve others. God does that. He gives you a new will, new desires, and you see this in people, right? I was reading a book the other day, and the guy was saying that he was introverted. And he was really honest. And he just said, I don't like people. And he was a Christian. Um, He said, Specifically, he was talking about this couple that just kind of annoys him. And uh, I know you don't have anything like that, but this guy did. And he was talking about how he just, but he knew he was called to, to reach out to this couple because he's called to love other people like Jesus loved him. And so he began to spend time with this couple. He would meet with them for coffee. They were neighbors, so he would go over and hang out with them. And then one night, he's talking to his wife, and he says, you know, we should have them over for dinner. And his wife is shocked. Like, I, you don't even like these people. <laughs> they annoy you. And he said, yeah, I know. I don't know if I like them now. But I think I love them. <laughs> because God has changed his desire. So they began to invest in this relationship. Because that's what God does. He changes your desires. He sends the Holy Spirit of God into your life to change your desires. He wills this in your life. 
I remember a, a friend of mine in Portland, uh, we were going through some stuff together and talking with one another and meeting together on a consistent basis. And this guy was having some difficulty in his marriage. And so we began to talk about Jesus and the gospel. And he knew Jesus. He made that clear. And how that affects his marriage, his conflict in his marriage, and everything else they were enduring. And he began to talk about how he would self-medicate with alcohol at night. Just because the, the task of fixing his marriage seemed too great. That he would dive into sports, sports radio, sports center, while he's in the bathroom. I mean, just, it was taking over his life, alcohol and sports, as a distraction from the root issues in his marriage. And so he began to talk about that. And he says, you know, it's, it's not helping. In fact, I'm miserable. Like, these ways of self-medicating, of distraction, they're not helping. And we talked about that's because these are not your desires anymore. This is not your intended desire anymore. You have the Holy Spirit of God working in you to work outside of you, even in your marriage. And so we began to talk about ways to replace the alcohol and the sports with Jesus. Ways to replace those things in his life that he was running to and instead run to Jesus. And that began to take shape in his life. But before he was miserable, and then he began to experience a joy. And it wasn't an easy joy. It wasn't a joy that came natural. Right? Like he had to approach his wife. He had to apologize to his wife. He had to address things with his wife. But through that process, God began to return his joy. You see, you're always going to be miserable living a life of sin as a Christian. Because God put a new desire. That's not what you're supposed to desire anymore. He put a, a new desire in you. It's like trying to shove a VHS tape. You remember those? Some of you don't. It's okay. It's like trying to shove a VHS tape into a DVD player. It doesn't fit. So, of course, you're miserable. You have new desires. Like, it's not supposed to fit anymore. Your life of lust, that's not natural anymore. You have the Holy Spirit of God in you. The ways you go towards gossip and slander and envy, that's not, the, what, that's not what you're designed for anymore. You have new desires. So of course you're miserable. He put a new will in you, a new desire in you, so that you could work it out. So you could see that lust be removed from your life. Do you, do you see that? So you could see that envy deteriorate in your life, decrease in your life, that it would be replaced by the joy of Jesus in your life. He put a new desire in you. But he doesn't just give you the desire. He gives you the energy and the ability and the power to work out these new desires. The second thing that he says is he works to will and to work. That he works out these desires so you can pursue Jesus and become like him. You see this in a couple places in Scripture. Colossians 1.29. It comes together beautifully. It says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You see that? For this I toil, I work, but it's his energy. It's the energy of Christ working in and through us. You see it in 1 Corinthians 15. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, 
but the grace of God that was with me. It's what we call grace-motivated effort, progressive sanctification. We work, why? Like, we work. Like, the Christian life is work. It's effort. But why do we work? Because what has been worked in gets worked out. Like, it affects our daily life. It affects our marriage. It affects our lust. It affects our envy. It affects our gossip. It affects our slander. He gives us new desires. He gives us a new energy and ability to work all of that out for his glory and for your joy. Do you see that? God changes you positionally, but then he also changes you progressively. This isn't a a difficult verse really for us to read. We should sing a song about it. Because it makes sense, right? If God works this in you, he's going to work it out through you. As a church, we love baptisms. Like if you're new and you've never met Jesus, if you've never trusted in Jesus, we hope you do that today. We're going to do baptisms on Easter. We would love to see people go in and out of that water because we, we celebrate that Jesus died, that he rose again, that you believe in that, that you have gone from death to life, that your position has changed. We love celebrating that as a church. But that's the beginning, not the end. You see that? That's the beginning, not the end. If If someone got baptized here and we never saw them again, that's only a partial success. Like, we want to see them grow up in him. We want to see them live a life of repentance, not just a one-time act of repentance. That's why, as a church, we do things like community groups. We want you to work this out in your life with other people. It's why we do men's studies and women's studies in Phoenix Bible University. We want to equip you to grow in Christ, to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus. It doesn't end with baptism. It only begins. And this affects everything we do as a a new church, like membership class. Some of you are thinking, like, why haven't we done a membership class? Is that coming? Yeah, membership class is really important. Membership in the church is really, really important. And we're going to do that sometime this year. We don't know when yet, but we're going to do it because it's really important to not just attend a church, but be plugged into a church and serve and be committed to your local church. It's a really big deal. But what conferences and articles will tell you about church growth is that you should do a membership class as soon as possible because they'll give more, they'll serve more, they'll be more committed. We're not going to do a membership class for that reason. Like, not just because that's wrong motives, but because I don't, we don't as leaders, we don't want to lead you through a membership class, a process to become committed to this church that's just on paper. Where we talk about our mission, values, and culture, and we we say how grand it is and and really how this is going to be lived out, but you haven't seen any reflection of that. Like, we want it to first be worked out. We want it to take some shape. We want to see, what does it really mean to love Jesus? Like, do we see that happening? How do we see that happening? What does it really mean for us to live like Jesus, to declare and demonstrate the gospel, to serve and give to others? What does that really look like? That takes time. It's progressive, right? It's a process. What does it look like to lead other people to Jesus? What does that look like locally? What does that look like globally? It's a process. And we want to see that process take shape before we just throw it on a piece of paper or throw it on a screen and teach you about that and ask you to sign off on it. Because we believe that this salvation needs to be worked out. 
that our mission, our values, our culture as a church needs to be shaped and molded and worked out, and it hasn't been done yet. Like We've started, we've taken steps in that direction, but we're not there yet. We're 20 Sundays into this thing. We want to give it some time this year to work itself out. And at the appropriate time, we'll invite you to commit to that. And hopefully by that time, it won't just be me standing up here saying this is what we are on paper. It won't just be ideals. It'll be real because you'll have seen it. Because it's important not just to see the positional change that we have individually, but to see the progressive change take shape in our lives. It's the same for our church. It affects everything we do. That's why this this part of our culture, love moves. We talked about this last week, if you were here, that we want to see our mission, our values lead to a new culture. What we said was we want to see a culture of family where no one is alone because of our unity in Christ. The second thing we said is we want to see a culture where everything matters because of the mission God has given us, that everything matters. So plugging in a cable to greeting outside, to talking to your neighbor about Jesus, that it all matters because it all furthers the mission of Jesus. And the third thing we said was that love moves. That love isn't just something that's done to you. That God wants that to get worked out in and through you. We want to see that take shape in our lives. But this is countercultural, right? All of this is. The idea that God changes you positionally and then he begins to change you progressively, that it's not you, but it's him, that he gives you a new will, a new desire, a new ability to achieve that desire, this is countercultural. I think specifically it's countercultural in Phoenix. Like as you think about Phoenix, as I've lived in Phoenix and even in the church world in Phoenix, I've seen a few things, and, and they're not too unique. Everybody deals with this, but I think we deal with them in unique ways. And the first one is this, comfort. Like a lot of us struggle with comfort. We want to be comfortable. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. And even now, God's convicting you of a sin in your life. And you know it in your gut, in your heart. You know there's something in your life that doesn't align with God. But you've gotten comfortable. And maybe you come to church and you attend. Maybe you go to your group and you attend. Maybe you go to multiple groups. But you've gotten comfortable. That's your routine. That's what you do. You hear scripture. You read it on your own. And what used to convict you and affect you doesn't as much anymore. When you used to hear commands of like, this is what you're called to do. Like God saying, you're my child. I have saved you. I have bought you with a price. This is how you should live that out. You used to hear that, it would bring a conviction, it would bring a power in your life to see things change and see things move. But for whatever reason, that's grown cold. And maybe that's you this morning. You've become comfortable. And then I think the second obstacle we see to this is deflection. Like a lot of us deflect. We only focus on what others need to work on. Like we'll have a conversation and you'll say, hey, hey man, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. How's your week going? Oh, it's my week. <laughs> it's the same every week. How's your marriage doing? Uh, it's doing okay, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we went out for Valentine's Day last night. It was good. Man, how's your, how are your finances going? Ah, uh, you know, pay the bills. How's your spiritual life going? Oh, uh, you know, me and God working some things out. But then we'll say, hey, 
have you seen Johnny lately? Oh, yeah, let me tell you about Johnny. I mean, that guy, I mean, he just thinks he runs everything. I mean, I just saw him the other day, and he just, I think he's struggling with pride just a little bit, you know? I don't know if you saw that picture on his Facebook wall. He hasn't been attending church recently either. I don't know if you saw that. But, uh, but yeah, he just has this disposition about him like he owns and runs everything. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's girlfriend. I don't know if it's the school. I mean, I know some stuff happened with that, some stuff with his past. And then I just think maybe you should talk to him. We can't even get out of our mouths how our week went. But yet when we talk about other people, it rolls right off the tongue. Do you do that? Do you know other people who do that? That's deflection. <laughs> when we think about all the other things other people are doing, all the ways they need to grow, all the ways even now maybe you're thinking, I know someone who needs to work out their salvation. Like my husband. I mean, goodness. My kids, I mean, they are driving me up the wall. They need to work this out. I mean, I wish they could be in here to hear this right now. Because this is what they need. And we deflect. You see, in our culture in Phoenix, and, and really everywhere, I see these two things. I see these two things in my life of comfort, of deflection, that prevents us, that robs us from working out our salvation, from seeing this new desire, this new energy, ability to achieve that desire, from seeing that work out, because we're, we're comfortable, we're numb to it. Where we say, and yeah, I struggle with lust, but that's natural. I mean, everybody struggles with that. We're comfortable with it. We say gossip and slander. I mean, everybody does that. I mean, pride? That's what I have to do to get ahead in my job. I mean, th this is the real world, Tim. Like, to get ahead of my job, it's very competitive. You have to be prideful. You can't look after other people's interests. That's not practical. And we begin to become comfortable. We begin to be numb to the conviction that we used to have for our sin in our life. The desire, the passion we had to read our Bible, to study, to pray, to serve, to give, to lead other people to Jesus. We have become comfortable. And it robs us from a joy that we can have beyond our struggle. And then a lot of us deflect onto other people. We only focus on what other people need to work on instead of ourselves. So how do we overcome that? <laughs> it would be depressing if I just ended it there. How do we overcome the comfort? How do we overcome the deflection in our lives that we all experience from time to time? By God's grace, by the faith that he's gifted us, by the work that he's done in us, we give up that comfort we give up that deflection, and we replace it with confession. We replace it with confession. That our progress in the Christian life, like our actual progress, starts with confession. And you see this in Scripture. You see it with David in the Psalms saying, God, search my heart. If there's any offensive way in me, let me know. You see that people in Scripture take time to pause and see how they've offended a holy and just God. Like if you become comfortable with your own sin, if you're deflecting toward other people's sin, you need to come to a place of confession, a place where you go low, where you look at Jesus who was exalted high, 
and you see the difference. Like, you see the gap. You see that even if you're not spiraling downward in sin, that there's still ways in which your life doesn't match up with the holy God. And you spend time in confession. By God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to work that in you as he works that through you. And this is uncomfortable, right? This is uncomfortable for us to look at our lives, for us to look at the ways our lives don't match up with God's. I've said this before, but a few years ago, I had uh, let myself go a little bit physically. I'll just say that. I wasn't in tip-top shape. wasn't ready to run a 40, right, in the combine. wasn't ready for that. I was a little bit out of shape. And I remember I was sitting in our recliner. At the time, we had a recliner. It was beautiful. And my wife comes over, and my wife really likes to take pictures. Like, it's ingrained in her family. They chronicle everything. Uh, Everything. They still use, like, scrapbooks and photo albums, right? Pictures are a big deal. So I'm sitting in our comfy recliner. I'm watching some sports on a TV Sunday afternoon, favorite time of day. And I got some ice cream in my hand, guts all hanging out. And my, my sweet little wife comes over. She wants to take a cute little picture of her husband. And so she gets the camera. She snaps it. I said, okay, we're going to do that. Um, well, let me see it. And I grab the camera, and I look at it. I say, oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, I didn't realize it had gotten that bad. Right? I didn't realize it had gotten that bad because I hadn't seen the picture. But I needed to see it. You know why? Because I laced up my Nikes and I went for a run. Because I didn't realize how bad it had gotten. Because I I hadn't seen that picture. You need to see that picture in your spiritual life. That's confession. You need God to show you the ways in which you don't measure up. I know that sounds painful, but it's for your good. It's for his glory. There is a joy beyond the struggle that starts with a confession. That starts with seeing yourself rightly in light in response to a holy God. That doesn't, that doesn't just happen one time when you come to know Jesus. That's a daily thing. <laughs> That's the rest of your life thing where you need to see that picture As hard as it is, as painful as it is, you need to see it clearly, confess it before God. Confession is really just admitting guilt before a holy God. They were all guilty before a holy God. But the good news is, is that 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess, what? He's just and faithful to forgive. God doesn't leave us in that picture. God doesn't leave us in that struggle. God pulls us out of that. He gives us a new desire. He gives us a new ability. He empowers us to go on a run, right? He empowers you to make changes in your life. That's confession. And you begin to learn what it means to walk in repentance. Repentance, a turning away from sin and a turning to Jesus. That God does that work in you. What he has worked in you gets worked out. Like we saw it earlier in Philippians. Philippians 1.6, what does it say? We all know this verse. It's on coffee mugs everywhere. Come on. He who begins the work in you completes that work. He begins it, he completes it. And along the way, you participate in things like confession. 
and things like walking in repentance, that by God's grace, by his Holy Spirit, you begin to see obedience take shape in your life. And you begin to become more like Jesus. Do you see this happening in your life? God doesn't just change you positionally. He changes you progressively. And it's all his grace. It's all his work. It's all something we get to experience. And the joy of being forgiven that we get to experience. The joy of seeing God's love not just happen to us, but go through us. The joy of seeing what God has worked in us go outside of us. Do you remember what that feels like? Where sin begins to decrease, where his righteousness begins to increase, and you begin to experience the life God designed you to live. This is God's desire for you. In verse 13, we see that he does all of this for his good pleasure. This brings God joy. Some of you feel like today, well, God doesn't really want me to progress. He doesn't want me to grow. It doesn't feel like that. It's too difficult. The struggle is too deep. You need to know, verse 13, that God wants you to grow. It's his pleasure that this happens. And that you begin to work that out in confession. And that you begin to see that confession work itself out into a discipline where it's a practice that you consider in your daily life. That you know that God loves you, God accepts you, he's for you, that he wants this for you. He wants you to conquer the lust in your life. He wants you to conquer the pride in your life. He wants you to conquer the envy in your life for his glory, for your joy. Do you see that? Do you believe it? God wants this for you. There's a joy in knowing that, right? There's a joy in knowing that this isn't all up to us. Because if it's up to me, I'll fail. If it's up to you, you'll fail. Because we stumble. But here's the joy part. God doesn't. Like, we doubt. God doesn't. Like, we struggle. God doesn't. You see that? There's a joy beyond our struggle when we begin to walk in that, when we begin to see God's power work in us, and then it gets worked out outside of us. It gets worked out through us. Where is that in your life? Like, how has God planted a seed in you that needs to get worked out? Like he's planted love in you. It's time for it to get worked out. He's planted forgiveness in you. It's time for that to be worked out. He's planted grace in you. It's time for that to be worked out. He's planted his righteousness in you. It's time for that to be worked out. He's changed your desire for that. He's given you the ability for that. It's grace-empowered obedience. It's God changing us positionally, but also progressively. So that even in the struggle, you can have a joy because you know that God never fails. That he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. What is that for you in your life this morning? Like In your comfort, don't ignore that. In your deflection, don't think about somebody else right now. I want you to think about your heart, your mind, your life. What is it in your life that God has done in you that needs to be worked out through you? What is it in your life that God has done for you that needs to be worked out in and through you? Let's consider that this morning as we pray. Father in heaven, 
I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this challenging text that we don't love to sing about. We don't love to quote that, that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But God, I thank you for the second part of that sentence. I thank you for verse 13 that that's not up to us. That you give us the desire, you give us the, the ability to see that come to fruition in our lives. God, I pray that we would begin to take steps right now. That in our comfort, God, that we would resist that desire to be comfortable and we would go to you in confession. God, that we would resist the desire to deflect on other people and focus on them. And we would ask those questions of ourselves. God, that you would enable us by the power of your spirit to do that. Jesus, you accomplished everything on our behalf. You died the death we deserved. You rose again in victory so that we could live in victory. I pray that we would experience that this morning. That wouldn't just be something we talk about or sing about. We would experience that, that we would become more like you, that you have already done that work for us, and now that you would do it in us and through us. And God, that we would respond to that in confession. We would respond to that in awe of what you have done. We would respond to that in worship to you. And God, that would become a discipline in our life that it would become a discipline that affects our, our very character, that affects who we are. Jesus, we need your help to see that happen. Uh, we believe that you can and you will do that. We trust in you this morning as we respond. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.